0: This is Creating a Disruption. Welcome to Creating a Disruption. This podcast focuses on ways faculty disrupt the traditional classroom by using engaging teaching and learning strategies. I'm Brian Hall, Associate Professor of English and Coordinator of Studio 101 on the Metro Campus of Cuyahoga Community College. And with me is our co-host, Carita Paul, who is the college's Director of Academic Professional Development. On this episode, we talk to Assistant Professor of Math at the Metro Campus, Kathy Renfro. Kathy Renfro recently was awarded the Ralph M. Bessie Award in Teaching Excellence. So sit back, relax, and get ready for an inspiring conversation. We are here with Professor Renfro. Welcome, congratulations on winning the Bessie. And I do wanna say before we get started that I've always appreciated your energy in the building. So for those of you who don't know, uh, we are in the same building here at the Metro Campus and especially the beginning of the semester, you are always out always finding students and then bringing them to studio 101 and you have no idea how much i appreciate that so Aww. thank you so much for being just a constant advocate for the campus and for the college thanks so. Ryan.
1: that means a lot to me i i always thought that To be honest, that I was always bothering you, that you were like, Renfro, (laughs) trying to plan for my first class. Stop bringing people in here. No, no. Um, I
0: mean, I come from a long line of, uh, like my grandfather was always called grumpy, uh, the uh, appearance of being grumpy, but never. Never. So I've always appreciated it. Thank you. Thank you so much. So to begin, uh, to go along with the theme of the podcast, how have you disrupted your class by creating a new assignment or project using new technology? trying a different approach. Um, why did you make this change? How did it go? <laughs>
1: Brian, th- <laughs> thanks for that question. I think it's a good question, but I'll, I'll tell you honestly, as I listen to so many of the other podcasts and I think of what people have done to disrupt their classroom, I think, wow, I haven't, I haven't really done any of that. Um, but I think what I've done has probably been more life disruptive and individually disruptive to my students as opposed to in the classroom so the biggest change I've made recently is I've required office hours for all my online students so instead of just saying here I am if you have any questions reach out and let me know you know I found that students like the rest of us they don't know what they don't know Mm -hmm. and so by me requiring them to come in and do a check-in during that first two weeks it's really kind of open the door for communication open the door for them to know where I am, who I am, really what my personality is, something that I can't get across as easily in an email, and it's opened the door to invite them to come back. So I'm I'm not going to lie, it's made my life a little crazy, and so I always have to try to figure out how to tweak that to find balance in my life, but it's a practice I don't ever plan to change because of the results at least I've seen from it.
0: Did you make that change this semester or something that you've been doing for a number of uh, semesters now?
1: Well, that's a good question. For sure, it's been a number of semesters. I, I think I did it after my first semester. Well, no, I I taught an online class for the first time in my life, fall of 2019, how fortuitous. Wow. Because spring of 2020, we we yeah. went. Sorry, you know, I'm going to tear up in this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I'm grateful that I had that opportunity. But really, like everyone else, I was just swimming in the yeah. spring of 2020 just to hang on to students so i think when we when we got to a point where we were able to breathe through the pandemic and i thought what can i do to really design something different that will impact my classes i I did a lot of looking at what everyone else was doing and to be honest, feeling like I don't measure up, I can't do that, I can't do this, I'm not good in that area. And I said, well, well what is my strength really as an instructor? And I believe that one of my strengths is just connecting with students on an individual level. So I tried to find a way that I could build a practice into my classroom that capitalized on my strength rather than trying to work on a weakness, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No, that
0: makes perfect sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I remember you telling me about that, and this was like several years ago. I remember you telling me you, you started to, to do this, and mm-hmm. I, I, I don't recall now, like, is it is it an assignment? Like, it, they,
1: it's part of their assignment. The first two weeks, they're going to schedule with you, right? Correct. Yeah, the first okay. week. I, actually, if I have an online class that starts on Monday, by Thursday of that week, they have to produce Turn In. a a week one checklist that has several things they have to do, and one of those is scheduling that appointment with me to be done during week two, but they schedule it by Thursday so that if they haven't done it, I know there's a person. That's hilarious for those of you not in the studio. (laughs) Professor Hall did just bring a box of tissue. I appreciate that. No problem. That's
2: an absolute essential With Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do any of your students ever, um, like, say to you, Gosh, I didn't know what office hours meant. I didn't know that that was my time to come to you and to talk. Like, does this open up kind of what they, how they understand and how do they utilize
1: office hours with some of their other classes? Do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, how honest do you want me to be in this? Oh, honest. Politically correct. So I hear that a lot in trainings. I hear students don't know what office hours are. They don't know that they're for them. So you should call them student hours instead of office hours. I'll tell you honestly, I haven't encountered that. I have encountered that students know that the purpose of office hours is for them, but they don't know that we really mean it. And they Hmm. think that somehow... They're bothering us. So I've heard a lot of students say, oh, I don't want to take from your time. And I've had to say, you, you know, the college pays me to do this. Now, if you have a, a part-time instructor, an adjunct instructor, that is community service. If they are providing that for you, mm-hmm. be sure to thank them and say, thank you for your time. I said, but this is this is part of my job. It's, it's what I'm required to do, and I'm happy to do it. But I do find that they're hesitant. They think that... Um, Perhaps only the students who struggle the worst reach out for office hours. They don't realize that the best students are the ones who come in for office hours. And so, by by doing this and opening this door, for sure they come back and they come back and they come back, and they don't tend to be disengaged. I don't lose them, and not one not know where they've gone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Does that answer mm-hmm. your question?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what is one of the best teaching? learning experiences that you've had um, or experiences for you so it can either be in the classroom or maybe in through your years of in school and stuff like that is there something that stands out
1: do you mean other than listening to the Creating a Disruption
0: podcast? Yes. I think we can just talk about that. <laughs> just talk about How that. has this or, podcast changed right, your life? Or, and, and here are the tissues. <laughs>
1: or onboarding with the <laughs> famous Kara DePaul has right. really been life transforming. You know, there, there's a lot. I, I think for myself, I'm a constant student of the craft of teaching. Mm-hmm. And so, two things that have been pretty transformative in my life was one, I had an opportunity to spend a semester abroad as an undergrad student. And during that, I spent two days a week in classes and two days a week doing field experience in a local school. So I got to observe people teaching in a completely different culture from our own. And I also got to experience students in a completely different culture. And that just broadened my perspective, broadened my horizons quite a bit that made me curious about the world around me. So that for sure is one. But another one is that every semester I try really hard to get into a classroom of somebody else and just observe them teaching. Mm. And since COVID, it's been a little easier to do that because now we have faculty members who have synchronous classes. So I've been able to observe some Tri C faculty from other campuses where I, I couldn't ever get into their class. People from other colleges, even, I, you know, can I come sit in on your class? Or even an instructor who's willing to put me as a and as a kind of like an observer in their online classroom, mm-hmm. I find that I learn from how they message their students, the things that they communicate to their online students, then I learn from them and I, I steal from that. There's mm-hmm. another instructor. We kind of go into each other's online classes each semester and then just steal ideas. I love
2: that.
0: That's so smart. I mean, because it's one of the things, and I we've talked about it on the podcast a few times, is sometimes it's just it's so siloed what we're doing in the classroom that we have no idea like what other sort of profession can you just sort of go into a room close the door and then nobody really has any idea what you're doing and you're doing and we talked about this before uh we started recording people are doing amazing things amazing things at this institution that's one of the reasons why we we do the the podcast how, how much can we plug the podcast right <laughs> one one plug podcast <laughs> But that's part of the reason is so we can start to hear what other people are doing because people are doing amazing things throughout. We just never have the opportunity to observe them or even to hear about it outside of a conference or even colloquium. Um, So I think that's a great practice to have.
2: You know, this reminds me, um, a a couple weeks ago, Kathy had reached out to me and and you, you shared that you were You had worked with our, like, instructional design team, and they made you, like, an avatar or an emoji. or (laughs) I don't know what it's called, but, like, what is that called? Like, an avatar avatar. of you, right? And then you were doing videos, like, weekly. Instead of just posting your announcement, your weekly announcement in Blackboard, you made a video of yourself as as this avatar and, you know, as as a way to – to um, engage the students and so I'm, I'm interested like I was like that's so great that you just randomly reached out to me and told me that that's what you were doing and that you shared that with me and I was like God, that's that's kind of brilliant I would like to I would like an avatar of my, <laughs> myself but I'm curious to know like how is it going like did, did it work do you feel like the students engaged more or less
1: Right. Okay. So first we have to dial back. It is a brilliant idea, but none of it was mine. So um, I had another, am I allowed to name drop here? Oh, Absolutely. So So Dr. Rossman, who's another math faculty, I think had to be out for some period of time for something. And I think I was subbing her class or assisting with an online class. So I was in her online class and I saw her announcements and I went, well, that's cool. How did you do that? And Mm -hmm. then I talked to her and she spent hours, like she loves to to do all that kind of stuff. And I thought, yeah, I'm not, that's not my wheelhouse. I'm going to have to let that go. And then I saw that Heather Maduhano Young does a a workshop, a Bitmoji workshop. Mm -hmm. So I went to the workshop, face-to-face, thank you for doing a face-to-face workshop because some of us really need that human in front of us. And I learned how to create a Bitmoji, which others can probably just Google search and figure it out on their own, but I literally Mm -hmm. needed Heather to Mm -hmm. teach me how to do that. And then I had to have her help create my Bitmoji because I couldn't even tell what i looked like to make it and then our instructional design team the i'm so sorry i don't remember all the names of the support specialist but abby who's here at the metro campus made some backgrounds for me to be able to do that then I couldn't even figure out how to get my emoji into the background and so Becky Wiggins said oh I love to do that kind of stuff and so she just made it all for me then all I have to do is change the text so how's it going honestly I, I don't know that it makes a difference for my students I'll be honest they just think I'm a few fries short of a happy meal but it brings me <laughs> joy and sometimes in this profession if you can bring yourself some right. joy then that right. makes you a better teacher for the students I, I don't know all I'll find out when I read their midterm reflections they just submitted this week.
2: And they're getting a Happy Meal out of the deal. So I feel like that's, you know, that counts. <laughs> they're
1: getting something. I'm not really sure. I don't know if they're reading my announcements more or not. I, I couldn't yeah. tell you.
0: Yeah.
2: But I love that this is something that exactly what you were talking about. Like you went in, you witnessed, you observed, you, you know, looked at what your your colleagues were doing. And from that, like sparked it and you went out and found out how to, how to make it happen or the people that could help.
1: Make it happen. Right. So I love yes. that. We call yeah. that the case method of pedagogy. Have you heard of the case method? I have not. No. Copy and share everything. There oh. you go. Okay. So that's my motto. I, like.
2: I have heard of, um, like when you do that at Tri-C, you, it's called steal it and teal it. <laughs> <laughs> So steal it. I have not. I have not heard that. Down. Yeah, I need to take that note. Yeah, steal it. You and steal it. You can add that to. The, you know, is that case is that an
0: administrative anything? onboarding? I'm not um, sure where
2: thing? I heard that from, but you know, you hear great ideas, and yeah. you might just want steal to adapt. Steal it, it and teal
0: it. Put a little
2: teal on it, and it'll work.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, what is the best teaching advice that you received? And if you received a lot, what's some that stand out to a you? A lot, right? How yeah. many
1: hours can
2: you and take? And it can't be advice from this podcast.
1: No, it wasn't advice done. from <laughs> the podcast. So. Oh, then this podcast is over. <laughs> Thank you. <No. laughs> so uh, what's been the most impactful um, i would say you know i took notes and i'm not really sure if it's true Uh, one is don't be afraid to try something that might not work Mm -hmm. right it's okay to just go out there and just try it and see and if it doesn't work it's okay it's not a personal failure it just meant that that item whatever that was didn't match your personality that particular class something that works in one class with my students might two hours later not work in the next class and that's okay it doesn't mean it's a bad idea and some ideas that seem great on paper when i try them they're disastrous so i just don't try it again so that's one but i would say another one came from a, a business guru i'm not sure what the right correct word is for someone who's a motivational speaker that talks to business professionals but an author by the name of john maxwell who wrote effective the seven effective strategies of great leaders or something like that. And he said that often if we we take a series of different skills and we rate ourselves on a scale of one to 10, I might rate myself as a seven in one area and think, okay, I'm doing pretty well there. But this other area, I only rate a three. So I need to really work on that. He said, if you think about it, if you take that area where you're a three and you work and work and work hard on it, you might get it up to a five or even a six, it's still not an effective skill. Mm-hmm. But if I take that area where I rate a seven and work really, really hard on it and give it up to a nine, now that's an effective strategy. So that, for me, how that translates into the classroom is I can't be the same instructor you are. I can't do the same great things that you do, Kara. I can't. When I heard um, the, the professor you had on your last podcast, I remember when they were reading Paula Alada's Bessie Award, and I thought... Wow, I'll never be able to teach like that. No one mm-hmm. would ever call me the most brilliant instructor they've ever met, right? But I then I had to stop for a minute and say that's okay because that's her gift to the profession and that's what she brings to the students. Instead, I need to find out where are the niches I have, where are the places where I'm already pretty effective and let me go out there and learn how to become more effective in those areas. Now, if an ineffective area of mine is getting my paperwork done, that's problematic, right? I won't have a job for very long if I can't ever just file mm-hmm. my grades. So I, I do need to work on those skills, but I don't need to get myself bent out of shape about the things I don't do well. Instead, hone in on your strengths.
0: Yeah. Does that makes sense? No, that makes perfect sense. Um, that's really great advice. Uh, and I was doing something similar with just sort of communication things, like getting to the point where I'm pretty good at communicating. I need to work on that more to become better. Mm. Uh, And I think that's just smart. I think it's a smart way. So whoever that business guru was. John Maxwell. He wrote hmm. a lot of books on effective leadership. No, I think it's wonderful.
1: And then my third piece of advice was someone told me to just be kind to yourself, right? So I find myself just telling my students and then telling myself, have the same grace with yourself that you have with others, right? Because, you know, we all want to do this better. We want to do this with excellence. We see the students who... Who don't make it and we think oh if only I would have if only I could mm-hmm. have done this different and we think that somehow we can affect that kind of a change and if we stay in that mindset we just won't last in this profession very long so right. we have to just kind of be kind to ourselves and say I can do the best that I can do with what I have I can try to work towards excellence in this area but maybe some days just showing up has to be good enough because that might be all I have right and that's
0: okay too right
2: you know one of the things that has always like struck me about um like one of your strengths is is connection right and you mm. bring students to the studio you connecting <laughs> faculty with other faculty hey have you ever seen have you met this person you know um and it reminds me of that that story of um the guy that's like walking down the beach and there's thousands of starfish on the beach and he's you know busy throwing all these starfish back in the water, and somebody comes up to him and he's like, why are you doing that? Like there's thousands on the beach, you, you're, it's not gonna make a difference. And he picks it up and he looks at the starfish, he's like, but it made a difference to that one student. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that kind of encapsulate, in, um, incapula- whatever that word is, <laughs> like your, your style, like your relationship mm-hmm. style. And, wh- and, wh- and like I see you know, you walking down the hall and talking to students and you know, remembering, remembering stories about them and in their, in their connection. Um, so thank you for being the person that will pick up each and every starfish <laughs> along the way right? And, and, do can, and, and do what you can and do to, what you can to bring them where they need to be and meet them where they are. at.
1: Yeah, thank you, Kara. I, I do feel like that is kind of my gifting is connecting. But I also I think one of the things that makes me a little hesitant about that is that somebody else then may come along and say, Oh, well, I don't connect like Kathy does, so then that makes me not good. No, you have a strength in a different area, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the piece we need to remember is that every you talked about it at the beginning of this, Brian, that there are amazing things going on at this institution. There really are. Um, We just have to make sure that we don't somehow turn that into uh, measuring ourselves as an effective educator by the standard of what somebody else does because somebody else is operating within their giftedness, right? And so sometimes we can measure ourselves and think that we're less than and so that causes us to take a step back and to not engage at all instead of saying you know I was hired for a reason and I think I if I can digress you said well get off topic yeah when I I was hired here I was very real in my interview and almost to the point where they didn't know what to do with me really I think in that space Because I said I could come in and pretend to be this polished person and have it all together, but that's not me. This is how I teach. And so if I'm a good fit, then I'll know I can flourish here, right? And then so when I came, there were certain things I wanted to do and a a particular individual who was... Um, employed here at the time kept telling me you can't do that you can't do that no you can't do that here and I, I didn't know so I thought oh I can't do these things I can't require students to come to my office hours that's not allowed and I didn't know that and I was walking across campus and I saw Dr. Scope who was our president at the time and he said Kathy how's it going and I was like you know I just don't know I thought this would be a great place for me But now I'm not sure that this is the right fit. And he said, well, why? And I I told him the different things that I was trying and that, you know, I was kind of being told you can't do that here. He said, you know, Kathy, we didn't hire you to be silent in this space. Go be you. And I thought, oh, the monster he unleashed that day. (laughs) (laughs) That was it, but that's the reality. And for every individual that has been hired here, regardless of the position in which they serve, they've been hired for a reason. This is an institution that people beg to get into. So when you've been hired to any position, know that you were the cream of the crop of that candidate pool. Mm -hmm. So flourish in that space and in what you've kind of been employed to do. And that's, if I could give something to my fellow educators, that's what it would be.
0: Yeah. That's great advice. Uh, when you talk to students, even in online, do you have a similar message to them as well in terms of doing the best that you can in the moment? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, not at all.
1: You know, I do talk with, it's interesting with students, especially online, because we don't know all the ramifications of Mm -hmm. what's going on. You know, Sometimes we can read students in a classroom and you can read their facial expression. You know who's engaged all the time that when they're coming and they lack engagement, that there's something going on there. But sometimes in that online class, we just don't know. So I find myself asking them. I say, Mm -hmm. do you need gentle encouragement or do you need a swift kick in the rear? Because I can do both and I can morph that, but what do you need? And then I also tend to ask students who is your person? And they're like, what do, you, what do you mean? You know, we all need a person, a person who can provide that encouragement to us when we get down, but also that person who can kind of prod us along. Mm-hmm. Maybe swift kick in the rear wasn't a good choice of words. Can you edit that out? Uh,
0: I, I could, but I...
1: You're not going to? Uh, Great. I, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, could no. you wait and not post this until after I have tenure? No. Okay. <laughs> um, But, you know, and so everyone needs a person. And that's one of the things I love about, like, our Black American Council is that students can have a mentor so that if they don't have a person for themselves, we can match them as an institution with a person. And so that's what I try to do is to figure out who that student's person is. Mm -hmm. And then I don't even remember where your question was, so I'm just going to I
0: think that was a fantastic (laughs) answer. And the thing is, with their one comment, I immediately thought to, like – Teachers being able to read students mm-hmm. in the classroom. Um, I had some troubles in undergrad. Yeah. Uh, I had one teacher uh, who I became close to, but one of my earliest interactions, I had him for a class. Uh, I was not in class, I was in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came out of the room and he just yelled down the hallway. He said, Hall, get your ass to class. And at that point, I went. Yes. And I and I went because he knew it somebody reached out. He knew at that moment sort of what I needed and if he would have came out and did it in a softer way, I probably would just like uh like in that moment he told me exactly what I needed to hear.
1: Right. And but he also took a risk and that's the hard part, right? Right. So it, it could have been and that goes back to I think something I said before, don't be afraid to do something that might be the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I push. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I, I like to encourage. I like to gently encourage students, but I'm a, at my heart and soul, I'm more of a pusher than an encourager. And so I just find myself asking students, did I push too hard? Mm-hmm. Did i I know that conversation we just had, and most of the time they'll say no, that's exactly what I needed, but I, I will say I get concerned that sometimes I'm going to push and I'm gonna push in the wrong direction, right. And then will I send that student over the edge? But I think if I'm going to take a chance, I'd rather risk at at pushing too hard and invading their space than taking a step back and making them think nobody cares if they're here, Mm -hmm. right? I'd rather err on the side of over-communicating with a student than under-communicating.
0: Yeah, Yeah. smart. We're going to move into the next segment. Four questions, our popular popular segment (laughs) for episode two. Yeah, Um, so we're going to ask you four questions. Uh, You can answer them. Uh, usually we have this like more of a quick response, but they can be a little bit longer if, if they need to be. Uh, but we're going to have a little fun with the first one, which we just call fact or fib. Tell us something interesting about you. It could be true. It could not be true. But at the end of this segment, Kara and I will tr- make a determination and try to guess. And then you can let us know for right or not, or just keep us in suspense keep to eternity. Suspense. So fact or fib, give us something interesting about you.
1: I don't know if this is interesting, but as a child, my family used to pay me to entertain them with some of my stories and that and helped inspire my confidence, which is why it's a little easier to just get up and talk to people now.
0: Okay, we'll get back to that. Uh, (laughs) Favorite teacher and why? How
1: much time do you have? That might be a separate podcast.
0: We're good for another 3 hours. Three so hours.
1: <laughs> so I mean to be honest it's it's not just one I can't think of one teacher that stands out but I can think of of many people many educational professionals not just teachers but people that have I've crossed with in education who have impacted my life in profound ways and actually a practice I've gotten into in the past couple of years is I try once a year because that's all I can keep up with. Once a year, I try to search my memory to find somebody who is impactful in my journey and to reach back to them and to thank them for what they did for me, but to then also share with them, here's how I'm paying that forward. So oh, I want wow. you to know that what you implanted in me is now going to my students. So some of those that come to mind will be my um, at a, an at instructor in high school who, when I was senior year in my math class, I was falling asleep in his class all the time. And instead of just berating me for falling asleep, he pulled me aside and asked me why, because he noticed that wasn't typical practice. I was working, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, full time, and then trying to go to high school to make money for college. And, you know, he kind of then jumped on my case and said, You're sacrificing a free education now to pay for one later. Look at this mistake you're making. And, you know, I heard him, but I really closed wow. it off because I thought, you don't know what I'm walking, you know, to say that to me, kind of, how dare you? I mean, right. I'll be honest, I was a little offended. But then that night when I went to work as a waitress, he and his wife showed up at my table. Mm-hmm. And boy, that impacted me, right? So he paid for a babysitter at home for his kids so that he could come and say, I see you, and I'm present, and I know that you're doing good things. That's powerful to me, and that was impactful. Um, I, I didn't really do very well in his class. It was my senior year math class, that I got... <laughs> 27 out of 50 on my final exam. So I still didn't do great in his class, but there were things I learned from him that really carried me through life. Another one was a professor in my master's degree by the name of Dr. Keith Kendig. And it was the first time I went into a math class and I felt like I actually knew and understood and had any sense of intelligence to me. I would say all the way through my undergrad, I struggled. I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. I felt like I was swimming in a pond that was much too big for me. And this man just taught in a way that unlocked my mind and I thought, "Oh. You mean all this time it hasn't been that I've been stupid. It's just been that the way I learn was different than how I was being taught." And so that empowered me as an individual, but also that empowered me as an educator to say, you know, there's a lot inside of my students and it really is on me as much as I can without sending myself over the edge mm-hmm. <laughs> to try to to teach in a way that impacts them. And then one was my uh, my freshman English class in college. I Every paper we wrote was graded either pass or no pass. And your entire grade freshman English was based on an essay you wrote for a final exam that was graded by someone who was not your instructor. So everything you did prior to that was to get you ready for that final paper. And so the very first paper I wrote in Rob Jackson's English class, I turned it in. And you know I was a pretty good writer. I placed into honors English. I was much better in English than I was in math. But I got my first paper back, and it said NP. And no pass, Mm -hmm. and being the snot-nosed student I was, I went up to him and thought, I've never no-passed a paper in my entire life. This paper was good. And he said, well, welcome to the real world, honey. And that was his response to me, right? He looked at me and he said, I already knew you could write. That's how you tested into my class. You wouldn't be in my class if you couldn't write. He said, tell me this. When did you start that paper? I said, it doesn't matter when I started the paper. It was done. It was turned in on time. It deserved a passing grade. You know it was a good paper. He said, you started that the night before it was due, didn't you? It doesn't matter. And I fought with him. And he said, my job is to turn you into a writer. I want to make you an excellent communicator. And in order for you to do that, you need to put some effort into this class. Don't ever start a paper for my class the night before again. Whew. Can you imagine saying that to one of your students today, no, Brian? No. no, but I will say. Talk about
0: taking a chance, though.
1: Taking yeah. a chance, and it was profound because he taught me a lot. And now I look at, you know, no matter what career you enter into, how much do we have to write now? You know, at that time, we didn't have internet. We didn't have email. Most communication was verbal. But, boy, today I have to write all the time, and I'm so grateful for that lesson. Yeah. So, yeah, the hard things and the, yeah. the helpful things were right. profound.
0: Uh, most embarrassing moment in the classroom
1: if I, you have one i you know i don't i don't really easily get embarrassed i can't oh. i can't think of a time you know i have all the teacher horror dreams before the semester yeah. starts so i always dream i'm like you know standing in front of a class not prepared don't have my notes but when it actually happens in a classroom i don't get embarrassed i will say there was a time that was probably the most humbling in a classroom okay and I I taught high school um, back at a local school district, and there was a, you know, guy that I saw that kind of had a lot of potential, but he just wasn't applying himself, not doing anything. And I, you know, I hadn't been a parent yet, so I didn't really understand the profound impact of my words on younger generation. Um, not you don't have to have a parent to get that, but I I've learned that more mm-hmm. as being a parent and um, teaching longer. I was young in my teaching career and I thought I'll motivate him the same way people motivate me. And, you know, I had a one-on-one conversation with him and said, you know, sir, if you, if something doesn't change in your behavior, like you're going to amount to nothing. And he paused and he looked at me and he said, you're not ever the person who's supposed to say that to me. He Hmm. said, you're the one who's supposed to encourage me and build me up and tell me that I can be something more than what I am. Oh, what a stab at the heart, but what a profound lesson. And I'm thankful for that young man speaking those bold words to me, right? Because I really learned from that. He was right. He was right. I'd like to say that I get it right now all the time, but I don't. Right. But every time I get it wrong, I still hear his words in my head saying, you know, the power of the tongue is really a pretty powerful one.
0: Mm -hmm. The last question. Did you find teaching or did teaching find you? Meaning, were you always out to be a teacher or did something happen where you went, I need to be a teacher?
1: No, I wanted to be a flight attendant. Really? I thought it really? would be really fun. <laughs> Coffee, tea, fly all over the world. And my father said, no, you may not do that. Um, so I think, you know, I, I kind of grew up in a in a time when school was a, a really helpful respite mm-hmm. for me in my life and just some things that were going on. And there were some coaches, especially, and some mm-hmm. other class advisors who had a profound impact on my life. So I thought I wanted to be able to be that for somebody else. I wanted to be able to give back. So in order to be a coach or be an advisor, I had to be a teacher. I thought, well, I'll go teach something. What am I good at? So Mm -hmm. I'll go teach English or teach history. And I'm thankful for a guidance counselor who pulled me aside and said, no, you you can't do that because there are no jobs out there at that time. In the mid-'80s, there were absolutely no positions in high schools to teach math or English and so they gave me a choice of three topics I could either choose science foreign language or mathematics and science wasn't definitely not a strength of mine I'd been kicked out of chemistry class in high school Um, foreign language I loved my Spanish teacher loved my Spanish class but I didn't understand enough about probability to know that every high school would employ one Spanish teacher and multiple Mm -hmm. math teachers so my chances of getting a job were probably slimmer Mm -hmm. so by default I said well maybe I'll consider math but I really wasn't very good in math so then senior year in English in math class you know that class I was falling asleep in I asked questions all the time because I always was the person who didn't understand. And there were three gentlemen in that class that believed that they were like God's gift to intelligence. I don't know if you've met people like this Mm -hmm. before, but they did. And they frequently let me know that I was wasting time with all of my stupid questions. And they created a computer program simulation that, unbeknownst to me that they shared with the parents at open house to simulate see this was back in the dark ages when I was mm-hmm. in school it was simulating what computers could do in the classroom so they presented a program to all the parents including my parent of uh, an algorithm that showed how much class time I wasted with my stupid questions and they looked at me, and they were like, what? look at Kara, boy, if you could see Kara's mouth oh, drop what? open, right? And they looked at me and said, why are you even in this room? And I looked at them and said, well, I'm going to teach this someday, right? Because I just wanted to shut them up. Right. And so then I, I had to go forward in that. So truthfully, Brian, I guess I became a math teacher on a dare. Yeah. It's not really a good reason to pick a career, but it's worked out. It okay. worked out for you. It worked, worked out, out great. Okay. pretty well.
0: <laughs> Kara, going back to the first one, fact or fib?
2: Okay, so family I... family
0: paid you to tell stories. Was that to, to talk basically
1: yeah. to just talk, entertain them with my okay.
2: Conversation. So I feel like <laughs> this is totally a fact that you would entertain people with all your stories, hundred mm-hmm. percent.
0: I agree. Is there
2: a little bit of a fib that they paid you to do this, or did they
0: actually? See, that's what I was thinking. You. I mean, they wanted you to talk. Because you're an excellent storyteller, I know. but I'm not sure about the mm. the money. So I'm going to say part fact, part fib.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll second that, that. Yeah. So it is it is true that it was part fact and part fib. My family did used to pay me, but they used to pay me to shut oh, up.
0: Oh, no. Not to
1: talk. No, they did, they did. They would say, we'll give you a quarter if you shut up for 15 minutes. And I... Didn't know when 15 minutes would go by and I couldn't ask anyone because I wasn't allowed to talk. Yeah, so frequently. You, so you collected quarters. I collected, to... uh, no, because I didn't shut up. Oh, <laughs> Didn't, oh. Right?
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: Wow. Interesting. You stumped us. Yeah. That, <laughs>
0: well, was, that was great. Was uh, Kathy, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, mm-hmm. You had so many wise words, so inspirational. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see why you connect with students, mm. and you are such a great ambassador for the college, especially the campus. Even more especially for MLA, since you're <laughs> hanging around through here. Um, so again, thank you so much, and I really wish you the best for the rest of this semester and your time here at Tri C, which I hope will be a while—a long time—a long time, a I long time. Be a long
1: time <laughs> until I can't get out of my car anymore. Thank you, Brian. It's really a joy to be here and I I love this place I uh, you know I was a teacher for a long time in a lot of different capacities but I tell my former colleagues all the time I've learned more in my four years at Tri-C that I learned in all of my years combined because this place is filled with amazing amazing people and I'm just grateful that they let me learn from them really because I, I, I I can't even begin to tell you how transformed I've become in this place and I'm still becoming right i we four years in and we have <laughs> several <laughs> more
2: years to go.